Good morning. <laughs> They're having a good morning. I want their coffee. Well, it's great to see you here this morning. Uh, I was, for many of you know, gone last week at a memorial service up in Guerneville. And thank you for prayers for my family and just the loss. It was appreciated and felt. And it was a beautiful time, even though it was a difficult occasion. But it's good to be back. It's great to be back here. And this morning we are going to be concluding the book of Genesis. And we're going to kind of go through these last chapters. But before we go into the conclusion, let's pause and take a moment to pray, not for your sake, but for mine. Uh, And let's still our hearts and give God some attention uh, that we can give his voice, the credence it needs to be in our lives. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to pause from our schedules, to take time and hear from you. And that's what we want to take place this morning. We want to hear your voice. We want to understand the direction that you are leading us in as a community and as people. And so we do fight off the distraction, the heat and the busyness of our lives to give you place and to give your voice a place within us. May this time be effective because it is time spent with you, the living God. And may we leave here changed because of that. For we do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we're concluding the the book of Genesis, I want to stop and kind of reflect on just what has been taking place to give us kind of an overall theme that we've been seeing, this meta-narrative that has been going on. I mean, it started off with the the beauty of creation where God created and said it is good and it is good. And we've seen this take place, but then there was this break in the the relationship with God and what was whole became fragmented. What was innocent became guilt-ridden and what was intimate started experiencing this alienation. And the fracture runs not only through the cosmos, but it runs through time. And it's something that we've seen throughout the entire book from Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau. These stories have brought with them pain and then reconciliation and then God intervening and doing miraculous things. But then again, the humanity that comes and shows up that brings once again that discord, that rupture, that fraction or fracturing of the relationship that we have with God. And that's been ongoing through the book and it's still going on even in these concluding verses. And and what we're seeing in the book of Genesis is life as it takes place. The things that we've read about, you probably can experience or have experienced in your own life. The fracture that you've seen in these families that we've been talking of lately, probably you can identify with it, right? We're all dysfunctional to some degree or another, and we all tried to hide it, but it's there. 
And so we, we see that continuing here. It brings us to this story of Jacob. Even as God has looked at this broken world and he's been determined to fix it, the way that God has been fixing the problem has been through humanity, who is also part of the problem, which is the strange thing, because we just want God to fix it. Okay, things are broken do something, and God says, I'll do something, but I want to use you. And now it brings in this responsibility, but we are the ones who have the ability to bring about the change. And so God would call humankind into this responsible part of fixing the fracture that is taking place to help repair it. And so from early on, history has been given this goal. It's moving towards a target. And the target, namely, is salvation. And remember, the the word salvation means healing. It means reconciliation. It's not just something you do when someone asks if you want to receive Jesus and you walk down onto a field or something. Salvation has to do with being made whole in your relationship with God and with people with the world around us as well as with God, that reconciliation, the restoration. And everyone is involved with this project. You are, I am. We're all supposed to be part of this reconciliation that's taking place with our own little breakups, our own little needs for reconciliation. Each life is a microcosm that reflects the fracture of the world. And don't you experience that as we've been going through Genesis, haven't you been saying, yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah, that story, I can relate. Why? Because it's our story. We're human. And this is the human story. And and so it continues here with Joseph and the end of the book. His is also a story that's been fractured. Betrayal from his brothers. The alienation being sent and sold into slavery in Egypt. And now we see that he overcomes it and achieves this reconciliation. And in Joseph's story, we learn how healing occurs and how salvation is worked out into this wound. And so open up to Genesis 46, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. As I'm reading, you can turn there, otherwise Daniel will have it up on the screen as well. It says, so Israel set out. With all that was his, remember Jacob is back still in the desert, that's who Israel is, and he's reached Beersheba. Beersheba is that kind of line that marks the last outpost from this wilderness heading towards Egypt. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob. Here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. And Joseph's own hand will close your eyes. Then Jacob left Beersheba, and Israel's sons took their father Jacob and their children and their wives and their carts that Pharaoh had sent to transport him. So Jacob and all his offspring went to Egypt, taking with them their livestock and the possessions they had acquired in Canaan. Jacob brought with him into Egypt, with him to Egypt, his sons and grandsons and his daughters and granddaughters, 
all his offspring. And then it goes on and it gives this genealogy of Jacob. I mean, we start this story and then it goes on and talks about all these different people. But first we see that he pauses as Beersheba and he pauses and offers a sacrifice. And, and what he's doing is he's entering into a new chapter of his life. And as he's seen throughout his life, I mean, there's been a number of chapter changes. There's been a number of transitions that have taken place and he's about to enter another one, but he's not going into this one alone. He, he's Before he makes this step in this new transition, this new life, he stops and acknowledges God. He, he brings an offering to God. He wanted to secure that connection with God. And in the sa- sacrifice Jacob was turning himself towards God with his whole being. Because God, you promised that I was going to be in the land of Egypt or in this Canaan land, but now I'm going into Egypt. What is going to happen to me? What is going to happen to the promise you gave me? It doesn't seem clear before me. In fact, before me, everything has changed. What I thought was stable wasn't stable and I'm about to walk through this journey. And move on. In fact, the words there, when it says that he set out, literally in the Hebrew it means he took his journey or journeyed on. Don't you feel like that so many times there is a transition in your life and all the things that were secure in your life have just been shaken and you have to journey on. You have to move forward as things are now. It's not the way... I would have them to be. I wouldn't like this famine to be here. I'd like to stay in Canaan in the land that you promised, but I'm journeying on. And as he does journey on, there's an acknowledgement that God is with me. And then God responds and encourages him, continue. I'm still with you. I'm going to be with you. In fact, your son, the one who you've lost, who you've not seen in all these years, he's going to be the one that closes your eyes. He will be with you even when you die. And so every phrase here is meaningful because Jacob arose from Beersheba. He got going on his journey. You know, sometimes all we need to know as the world around us falls apart is that God is going to journey with us. Sometimes we have no more security than that. Sometimes the things that we would want to take place or have assured. I'd like to know, you know, before, I I always hear this, you know, well, before we get married, we want to be, you know, set and and secure. And I'm like, okay, I'm still not set and secure. I, I would not be married to this day if I was waiting for that. Sometimes you have to journey on. Sometimes you have to say, I do, let's do this together. That's just a little advice for some of you who've been waiting for four years or something like that. Sometimes you just have to journey on. And it's not clear. But God is giving him the assurance, I will go with you. And just as we come to this crucial moment, the story is interrupted. And this mark of Israel's history and all the names that we're not going to go through, it's starting to show something that... This is not just a a tribe or a group of people, that this is actually becoming a nation. It's the birth of a separate people. And so something is transitioning here. And then finally we get this small glimpse 
of Jacob being reunited with his lost son in verses 28 and 30. That's funny because there's this been the build-up this whole time. We saw that Joseph just broke down crying when he heard his father was still alive and coming. In verse 28, we see, Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to get directions to Goshen. When they arrived in the region of Goshen, Joseph had his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. And Israel said to Joseph, now I'm ready to die, since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. And so this is a a short little glimpse behind the curtain, but we see that he wept for a long time. And this is an emotional and powerful passage as they are reunited after years. You fathers or parents can imagine thinking that your child was dead and then seeing them again, how overwhelming that would be. And so Jacob is overwhelmed with the emotion, but the storyteller just discreetly draws the curtain, closes it on this short and sweet and emotional time. And then it goes on and he talks about the famine there that has been dragging on in Egypt, that the famine was severe and Joseph is going on in this and so now Jacob has crossed into this new place this new journey and we see that even in this journey that once again there is difficulty the famine that is there and as this is continuing to take place there is a turn and change of events you know that is going to happen. Now that you're here in this land and they're prepared to meet the Pharaoh and understand what things are going to happen, you see, God is going to lead them into this new chapter and what it's going to look like. It was a way to bring his attention back to a place of dependency. And I don't think that God really cares what brings you to him. Sometimes I I think he cares more that you come to him. And so sometimes even though it's a famine and even though it's a difficult thing, the fact that you come to him is more important than how it took place. Yeah, it would be nice if it was smooth and easy, but how often does that happen? Most of the times it's in the tragedies of life that our knees bend. It's in the difficulties of our lives that these things happen. And so in this change that takes place now in Jacob's life, he's in Egypt, there's famine in the land, but things are changing. And so in verse or chapter 47, verses 8 and 9, we're going to continue. And we see that Pharaoh meets Jacob, and I love how it starts off because it says Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? I wonder if Jacob just looked worn out. You know how there's people who time has not been kind to. I mean, sometimes it's because of how they've lived. You know, maybe they've been drinking a lot, smoking a lot, or partying a lot, not sleeping a lot, whatever it is, and time just is showing itself. And he asks Jacob, how old are you? Because he probably looks really old. And Jacob said to the Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. So yeah, he's pretty old, okay? 
And then listen to what he says. My years have been few, 130 few, and difficult. And they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my father, fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. What an interesting thing to say. He gives kind of a depressing description of his long life. And he says the years have been few, but they've been difficult. And I think that's such a, a picturesque way of kind of looking back on life and how things are. Because when you look back, things go quick. And the older you get, the faster time goes. You who are getting older know that's true. But the things that you remember most of the times are the difficult things. Those are the things that age us. Those are the things that wear on. And so Jacob's response, my years are few and they've been filled with difficulty. What a depressing thing. Let's move on so we don't have to live here. But you see, even though it's been difficult, if we look back, we see that even though he won every contest with his brother Esau, he got the birthright. He got Rachel, his wife. But even in all the things he got, he's learned that getting what you want doesn't guarantee what you need. And notice how Jacob's interview with Pharaoh ends, begins and ends with a blessing. In other words, the bent over elderly nomad stands before the prince of Egypt, you know, this powerful monarch, and he feels that he still has something to give him. Do you feel that you have something to give to anybody? Even if you're old and even if life has beaten you up, have you learned from those things that you live through that you have something you can give? That you can bring a blessing to anybody? I mean, imagine this picture is just great. Here's this guy who looks, you know, just like, you know, this 130-year-old nomad, you know, he's got this big cloak on him, probably just like this. And here's, you know, the monarch in Egypt, probably got the gold crown, you know, looks like Yul Brenner, you know, because that's my, those of you know, Yul Brenner and Pharaoh and Moses. Anyway, you know, he probably just stands there in this contrast and then this old man gives a blessing to the monarch. Again, when God journeys with us, you always have something to give. He has learned a lot through the years, even though it has been difficult. And the famine continues. It, it's absolute. And as that power, that famine is taking the power out of Egypt, what it does is it changes things. It changes the dynamic. It, it kind of brings now Joseph into a place of power. Remember, he came in as a slave and now Egypt is actually coming to him and, and needing to go to him and get welfare from him. And so he was first brought into Egypt. His welfare depended on them, but now their welfare depends on him. All of Egypt is hoping to find favor in Joseph's eyes, it says in verse 25. And because we need to go through in this chapter and the whole rest of the book quickly, turn to verse 28. As we come to this 
portion. Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel to die, he called for his son Joseph and said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Do not bury me in Egypt. But when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. I will do as you say, he said. Swear to me, he said. Then Joseph swore to him, and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his son's staff. And so Jacob wants a promise. A brief little epilogue Jacob makes with Joseph. Swear an oath. He wanted to be buried in Canaan with his fathers. And then he worships. He's gratefully acknowledging God's kindness that I will not die and stay here, but I will go to be with my fathers, my forefathers, and there. And it seems a strange thing to us, maybe, you know, well, why do you have to go back to that land? Why, why is that so important? Because that's where God promised That's where the promise of God was given to me. That's what he promised to me. I want to be a part of the promise. And he's in Egypt for 17 years, which is the time or the age that Joseph was when he lost him. Joseph was 17 years of age when he thought him dead. And then he gets to spend another 17 years with him. It's almost as if God is saying, I will give to you again what you had in the beginning before you go on and move into this place of promise. And then in chapter 48, verses 1 through 7, we we continue the story and it says, Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. And when Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. Ephraim and Manasseh will be mine just as Reuben and Simeon are mine. Reminds me of the seagulls, right? And finding Nemo. Mine, mine. He, he's like, there, you're all mine. What, what, what's going on? He's recognizing again the promise of God. These children after you, they're going to be mine. Verse 6. Any children born to you after them will be yours and the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. As I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath. So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. And so I find this interesting because the the central theme in chapters 48 and 49 are blessings. The source of blessing Jacob doled out, God Almighty has given to me, he has blessed me, and this is going to continue. The blessing was divine from God, and it was dynamic, it was continuing to go on. These kids that are yours, they're a promise of the blessing that God gave to me, and so I'm claiming them as my blessing. Yeah, they're your kids, but you don't understand they're mine. 
They're the promise that was given to me. And it was because he was blessed that he was able to bless. The time had come to now pass on the blessing and he's going to bless Jacob's sons. And Jacob brings his sons, the older to be on the right hand and the younger on his left hand. But as Jacob goes to bless them, he crosses his hands and Joseph gets upset. He goes, hey, no, he's the older. And he says, I know. I know what I'm doing. And he continues to prescribe blessing. And he does it to all of his children as well as to Jacob's children. And just like Jacob received the blessing from his father, even though he wasn't the firstborn, he does the same thing, which is curious in why he does that. And there's a a little footnote that takes place because we see in verse 7 he remembers Rachel he remembers the loss again the hardship of his life the things that was gone the woman to whom he was willing to work for 14 years it's hard to lose someone who's precious and supportive especially when you still have a long way to go you know that's been on my heart with my cousin who who lost the love of her life but life goes on how do you live It's there. It stays there. And it's hard to move on. And even in his old age, in these last moments, he remembers that. Because those things stay with us. And so these blessings collide with the reality of the family disappointments. And there's an interesting verse In verse 18, it almost seems out of place in chapter 49, verse 18, as he's going on and he's blessing and he's blessing. We see in verse 18, I look for your deliverance, Lord. And it's such a curious thing that this shows up in the middle and and he gives the blessing to this son and he gives the blessing. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't that hot, you know, and it's like all these blessings are kind of prophetic. It's his way of saying the the lion is going to continue. God is going to show favor with these my children. But then in the middle of it is this I look for your deliverance. And what inspires this? What brings this out of Jacob? Was he upset or troubled with the situation that he was in, the challenges that he saw ahead? Was he distressed because of the incompetent characteristics of his children? I mean, he now knows that Judah and the brothers sold Joseph into slavery. How do you move on with that knowledge as a father? As he's thinking about the future, all of a sudden this comes out. I look to you, Lord, for deliverance. Is it that Jacob could not connect the future that he saw with the destiny that God had revealed to him for his people because of the family he had? It might be that we think of what God wants to do with us in the world, the reality of our own family and situation seems sometimes to stand in the way. I I don't know if that happens with you, but sometimes I think, oh man, I'd love to see God do this and I want to see God do this. And then there's family. And it puts the brakes on everything. You were thinking you were going to do that, but you need to do this instead. 
And sometimes it's hard to see the promise of God because of where we live today, because of the the struggles that we have today. And and some of you who have young children, we've got another crop coming. A a lot of you are, are pregnant again. And I can remember when... Corinne and I were young and I was involved and wanting to see the things of God take place, serve God and just go for it. And we had the twins at the beginning and that took some wind out of our sails, okay? That, that took some life out of us, you know? We lost a step there, gained some gray. And then we had our youngest son, and it's like, oh, okay, there's another one. And we had to regroup, you know, and it's like, okay, we, we can still do this, right? Yeah, we're going to still do this. Okay, we're going to do this. And, and then I remember when we found out that she was pregnant again with our daughter. And I remember thinking, my life's over. I may not have said it in those words, but I just thought, oh my gosh, how are we going to do this? How can we continue? And what about the things that I like to do? Because now I need to work like four jobs just to raise these kids. And what about the things that I believed God was telling me to do? And I, I have to work through them. And sometimes we have a hard time seeing the promise of God because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in in the family. And so Jacob says, I look to you for deliverance, Lord. In other words, you're going to get me there. And I need to tell you, those of you who might be in that situation, he will. He will. Take courage. You'll get there. Don't lose the promise that God has given to you. Don't lose the hope that your life is there for his purposes and has a goal. Wherever you are and whatever the circumstances are in your family, you have a teenager who you think has been possessed by the devil themselves. (laughs) And, And they are burning cities as they pass through them and leaving a wake of destruction. And you're like, oh God, oh God, do what Jacob did. I look to you for deliverance. You see, you you may not be able to fix the situation and all that's going on. But God is still going to work in you. I just got a text this morning from a mom giving me the address of her son who is now in prison, saying, well, when you went and visited him, it really meant a lot to him. He's doing as good as can be expected. Here's the address if you can take the time and write him. No one expects their kid to go to prison. That's not on anyone's list. And sometimes we find ourselves in the situation, oh my God, my son is in prison. And we look to the Lord for deliverance. For deliverance for our children, for the deliverance for the problems that we see in front of us, the deliverance for ourselves so that we do not become 
swept up and drowned by the things that happen to us and to our kids. And I just think it's so interesting that as Jacob is dealing out these blessings in the middle, is I look to your deliverance, O Lord. It's important that we see as he's giving blessings that the whole purpose all along was for him to bring blessings. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, Finally, all of you be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. You see, our destiny in this world is to become the blessing to others. This is why you were called to be a blessing. So don't repay evil for evil. Be like-minded. Be sympathetic. Now, that sometimes is the hardest to do with family. But even here in our community, are, are you sympathetic? In other words, do you show sympathy for others or do they just get on your nerves? You guys know what I mean? Oh, I don't like her. She's too bossy. I don't like him. He's got a drinking problem. Well, I don't like her. She's so needy. She always needs someone to encourage her. Oh my gosh, be sympathetic. You are here to be a blessing. That is your goal. That is your purpose. And if you're not seeing that, then you are part of the fracture, not part of the mending that we are called to continue. So our destiny to this world is to become a blessing to others. We have to read 49, 33, and 50, verse 1, because it's the end of Jacob's life. It says, When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Man, he just like knew, right? It's like, okay, I'm going now. See you later. Put his feet up, lay down. And verse 1, it says, Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. He had gained his father, had him for another 17 years, and now he lost him and he was gone. And then in chapter 50, back in Egypt, Joseph's brothers got worried. Dad's dead. Joseph's going to kill us. The only reason he was sparing us was for Dad's sake, now that Dad is gone. And so in verse 15, we see... Just that. We see that they start to panic. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, he said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. Joseph wept because he said, no, that's crap. That, that isn't true. 
And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You know, it's a sad situation for two reasons. One, they don't trust Joseph or believe that they're forgiven. Isn't that terrible when you have to live with the idea that I haven't been forgiven? Isn't that something that kind of creeps into your relationship? If you don't know you've been forgiven, it just lingers there. It's like mold on your conscience that just doesn't go away unless you use bleach. It just isn't getting cleaned up. And also, they are still trying to connive their way through the circumstances. In other words, instead of just being honest and coming to them, they're still trying to manipulate things for their benefit. Some things are just hard to let go of. If you've been a person who always lies and is always manipulating, you find that even when you start to make a change and move towards Christ, some of those things are hard to let go. They've just been a part of your life for so long. Someone says, did you do this? No, no, I didn't do it. And you're thinking, I did. Why did I say that? Well, because you're used to saying that. That's what you always said. And now it just kind of stays a part of you. And it's hard sometimes to stop the momentum of all those things that we've been doing, the way we've been living. And so here they connive their way. They invent this clumsy story. Dad said, you're supposed to forgive us. And they can't just be open. And Joseph's forgiveness was real. Notice that he said, you did evil to me. He doesn't say, oh, no big deal. You just sold me as a slave to Egypt. It's okay. No, it's not okay. That was an evil thing to do. He doesn't whitewash it. He doesn't sweep it under the rug. But what he does again is acknowledge that even though you did this, God is doing something in spite of what you did. You meant it for evil, but God is using it for the good. And so we see that there is that change that's taking place as he deals with this situation. Here we are back to the beginning. It's like we're there in Eden again. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It symbolizes that fracture in the world. Adam and Eve unleashed the evil, but the good was also present. And now in Joseph's story, his brothers intended evil, but we see that God is present and prevails. And this is how the healing of the world occurs. Good undoes and counteracts the evil. The world can be healed, but healing comes when it's reconciled, and reconciliation comes only when there's forgiveness. And so Jesus will say things like, if you want to be forgiven... By your Father in heaven, you need to forgive those around you. And if you will not forgive those around you, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Bam. I know there are some of us here that just slaps us across the face because of what someone did to me. Right? You don't know what they did to me. And God says, well, if you want my forgiveness, you need to forgive 
that person. Now, forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay, it's no big deal. Joseph said what they did was evil. What forgiveness is, is I am not going to hold that to your account. I'm not going to keep you under that pressure. I will not hold you accountable for that thing that you did to me. doesn't mean I trust you. You can forgive someone and still they don't have your trust. By the way, that's not a bad thing. Some people who you forgive, you shouldn't trust. Just letting you know, that's a little helpful information, okay? (laughs) It doesn't mean that everything they do you say is okay or accept. It doesn't mean you go and hang out with them. Hey, let's do coffee. It doesn't mean that. But what it means is you want their benefit. You want reconciliation for them. You don't want them to live under the penalty of the wrong they've done. They might have to still do time in prison, but you don't want them to be condemned before God. Can we do this? Can our prayer go from God make them pay to Father forgive them? Can we make the change? And just like God has been working in humanity from the garden until this point, trying to bring about reconciliation, establishing a people through whom he would bring his promise. Can we bring reconciliation into the lives around us? And let's, let's start just here with the people you know, with your family, and the people you interact with, say, here in our community. Can you make this community a place where anyone who comes here feels more welcomed than they do anywhere else in the world. Because I got to tell you, when you leave here and you talk to your husband or wife about somebody, oh, did you see what he was wearing? I know. And he was playing guitar. (laughs) If you leave this place and start bringing that in, you are chipping away at reconciliation and the beautiful thing that God wants to do in this community. And so if someone does have an issue, oh man, he is so full of himself. He just thinks he can do no wrong. He's got so many problems. Instead of taking that and gossiping about it with your husband, with your wife, with your close friends, Why don't you see what you can do to bring about health in that person? Bring about reconciliation. It doesn't mean they have to become your best friend, but you can stop destroying it the relationship that needs to be developed there. We need to recognize that. You see, this is supposed to bring about what God does and brings to reconciliation of the world. And from there, verse 22, as we close this book, Joseph stayed in Egypt 
along with his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Michar, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath. God will surely come to your aid. And when, and then you must carry my bones from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110. And after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. And here's the thing. 400 years later, when they are leaving Egypt... Because God is delivering them, they take his bones with him. Why? What's the big deal about bones? You see, it's not just these are my bones. It's this is the promise that God made to me, to our fathers. This is what God said he was going to do. And I don't want you to forget that you are connected to the promise of God. You belong here. You are this people. This is your identity. You are not an Egyptian. You are from Abraham and God promised Abraham he would live here. I want you to remember who you are. And so when you leave, take the bones as a reminder of the promise of God. And 400 years later, they did not forget. Oh, it is the scourge of man that he forgets. It is so detrimental to our well-being how quickly we forget the things that have taken place in our lives, the people who have loved us and showed kindness to us and mercy to us, and we take it for granted and, and don't acknowledge them and, and don't give them the respect. A God who has been generous to us, who has loved us, who has given his life for us and told us, as I have loved you, you are to love each other, and we forget that and we go on and act as if we don't owe him anything. And oh, that we could remember, oh, that we could stand in a place and understand that this is the people we are, that we are a people of promise, that God has given us this promise. How can we remember? And Jesus said, as he took the bread and the wine and he broke it and he says, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, you preach the Lord's death until he returns. See, what is taking place here? 
at the end of Genesis is something that Jesus picks up on. It's continually trying to bring the restoration of humanity. God had, from the very beginning, set in plan, in place, the plan to bring about redemption. This fractured world, this broken world, God is going to use fractured and broken people to bring about its completion. It began with the complete person, Jesus, and it continues with his people showing the love that he showed towards us. And just as Joseph's body was not left in Egypt, who we are cannot be forgotten. And so we pause and we take time and we partake of the Lord's communion to remind ourselves of our identity, to remind ourselves of who we are. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9, it says, By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forwards to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. We're going to take time and we are going to pause and we are going to partake of the Lord's cup together. And this is how it's going to work even as the, the band comes up. We have on both sides here the elements. We have the bread and we have some juice in a bowl. And as you feel led, you can come up and dip the bread in the juice and then partake if you want to go back to your seat or if you just want to go to the, do it there at the table. If you want prayer, even at this time, I know that Michael is going to be in the back uh, praying. If someone else, Corinne, could you be back and pray also if someone would like prayer? There'll be some people in the back if you want prayer. And what we want to do at this time is remember the people that we are. We are the people who belong to Jesus. We have his name. We have his identity. And if Jesus said, I am your Lord, I wash your feet. If, if I do this, what should you do? And so I want us to go back to the place where our community is one where everybody feels that they are unique, special, and welcomed here. I want everyone who we encounter to feel as if God is loving them through us because that's what it is supposed to be. We want to bring reconciliation to this fractured world by living lives that are connected to the God who brings restoration and healing. You see, for the work of God to take place, it takes the people of God, those who are connected to him. And as Joseph would not leave his bodies in Egypt, we will not go on living apart from the cross and what it means to us. That's my identity. I have a God who loves me, and with the love he has given to me, I am now to love others. And as we 
take the time and partake, may it bring healing to our souls. Maybe there's areas of unforgiveness or bitterness. Maybe there's fractures in the relationships you have with family or with friends or with people who you know. Maybe this can be the time where God brings wholeness and healing into our lives. And remember, as you partake of this bread, it is symbolic of what Jesus has done for you. As you partake of that fruit of the vine, it is remembrance of a blood that was spilled out for us because he loved us. So let's take some time as you feel led as they sing the song, come on up, partake of the cup together, and then we'll continue. If you want prayer, Michael and Corrine will be in back. You can go up and receive prayer just as we continue to worship God. But let's be a people who bring this fractured world some peace and some healing. And may it begin here this morning. When the Lord asks, do you want to be healed? Do you, do you want me to get rid of this bitterness, this hurt in your life? And you would respond, yes, Lord, heal me. Get, get this out of me. The Lord says then, are you ready to forgive? And are you ready to be healing to the world around you? Because it will not happen any other way. If we are going to be people who are free of the burdens, then we have to be people who free others from those burdens. And even as the children of Jacob, of Israel, would settle in Gosham there, they knew it was temporary because they were still journeying and they were still moving on through life. And throughout this book of Genesis, it's been a journey and your life is a journey. And there is going to be fracture, there is going to be disappointment. And then you have the opportunity to respond to that by bringing healing, bringing restoration. That is our heritage. That is who we are. And, and so as those of us who, who believe and follow after Christ, this is to be our identity. It's not a choice. It's not like, well, if you want to be a loving person, if you want to be a forgiving person, this has to be. You, you can't represent him without it. The bones can't stay in Egypt. They need to come out. And so we're going to continue to worship with one more song. And just, I, I, if there's anything that is burdening you, Take this time and in this song to unleash it. To just give God those problems that are going on inside of you and to make the commitment to move forward and bring a person who brings in this unity that needs to take place. If you feel like standing, you can stand. If you want to get on your knees, you can get on your knees. But have this time be a time where you can have that interaction with God. Father, that is our desire, that we would grow and move to places where we could not move without you. May we have eyes to see beyond our limitations, God, to see your potential in the things that you have for us. 
We ask that you would bless us so that we could bless those around us. Thank you for this time, Lord. May you enrich those who are here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.